we're going to be in John chapter number 12 this morning. It's an extremely familiar passage, but I believe it's the passage that we need to study together. John chapter number 12. We're going to read a very long portion of scripture. We're going to read from chapter 12, verse 12 through verse 35 or 36. When you have it, you can indicate by just saying amen. God's word declares, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they, were, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet, meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So, this, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, uh, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Beth- Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. Uh, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said uh, that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now this is the judgment of the world. Now we, now we will, now, now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus answered them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks, walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Uh, this morning, I want to preach uh, just from a very simple subject title. I want to talk about when death leads to life. When death leads to life. Let me pray for us. Lord, I am coming to you this morning as a broken man speaking to broken men and women. Lord, I am not just broken, but I am helpless and I am hopeless without you. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that we are more aware of our need for you 
than we ever have been before. God, we thank you that without you, we can accomplish nothing. God, we thank you that this morning you're going to give us an opportunity to see not just our need for you, but God, I thank you that you are going to reveal to us how you have met our greatest needs. Lord, we thank you that you meet us right where we are. And praise God that you don't leave us where we are. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you are not willing to leave us the same. And God, in advance, God, we want to thank you for the gospel's power to transform us, to renew us, and to strengthen us. God, we thank you for your grace. Because because of grace, we are now called to not live by might nor by power, but God, we are called to live by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, we are relying on you this morning to be the perfect teacher. We are relying on you to lead us and to teach us as we study your word, but also as we apply your word. And God, as we apply your word this morning, God, we're going to be ever so careful, God, to give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. It's in the strong name of Christ that I pray this morning. Amen. Uh, Currently, I am 38 years young, and when I look back over my life, there are some weeks that stick out in my life more so than any other. Uh, I can remember the week of my 16th birthday. I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, I wasn't the oldest person in my class, but I was the first person in the class to get a car. Uh, That week was a great week because gas was cheap and my car was full, and you could not tell me anything. Uh, I can remember uh, my graduation week from high school and my graduation week from college. Uh, I can remember the nervousness that was connected to the, uh, my wedding week. I can even remember uh, the fearfulness that I experienced before planting uh, this church. I can remember uh, the night of October 21st, or actually the night of October 20th. Uh, we had our first service on October 21st. I can remember wondering who would come. I can, rem- I can remember wondering, was this, was this thing going to be an epic failure? And I remember showing up to church that morning and people just started to come. And the Lord just reminded me of his faithfulness and goodness. Uh, I can remember the week leading up to my daughter's birthday. Those were great weeks. And while those weeks are very special and significant, uh, I want to tell you very clearly there is a greater week that I've experienced in my life. Uh, without question, without fail, with, with complete clarity, I can say this morning, the most memorable and significant week in my life took place the week of uh, December 2nd in 1996. That was the week when I surrendered my life to Jesus. That was the day on December 2nd when my life moved from death to life. And because of the transformation that is taking place in my life as a result of Christ entering into my life, that week stands out more so than any other week in my life. When you think about the Bible, the Bible gives us a lot of descriptions of some significant weeks uh, throughout salvation and biblical history. When you go to the Old Testament, you see the creation week. When you go to the Old Testament, you see uh, the week where uh, Moses led the Exodus, uh, when he led the people out of Egypt. You see uh, the week where Joshua led the people into the Promised Land. You see the week uh, where Noah finished the ark. Uh, Even when you get to the New Testament, you see the week where Jesus was born. You see the week where Jesus was baptized and Jesus called the first disciples. And I want to say that all of those weeks are significant, but I want to step out on a huge limb this morning and say there's a more significant week that we're going to talk about this week. This week 
is an opportunity for us to reflect on the most significant week in human history. I believe John 12 introduces what I would consider the most crucial and significant week that the world will or ever has been able to experience. This morning, as we study John chapter number 12, we need to understand that this is the Passion Week. This is the week where Jesus um, goes to the cross. This is the week where uh, our faith and our, our hope and our focus must give its attention to. When you look at the text this morning, we must understand that this is a description of uh, the world, the, a description of a, a week that the world has, has been trying to figure out the meaning of since this week happened. It's a week where Jesus enters into um, Bethany. It's a week where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. It's the week where Jesus ultimately goes to the cross and is crucified for our sins. There is no other week more significant than this week. Like, here's how significant this week is. When you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the Gospels focus on this week more so than any other week in the entire Bible. Nearly two-fifths of Mark's Gospel focus on this one week. One-third of Matthew's Gospel focuses on this week. And over one-fourth of Luke's Gospel focuses on this week. And they are right to do so because this week is totally different because in this week, we clearly see that Christ and his commitment to us reveals his commitment to die for our sins in our place, but it also shows us the opportunity that we have to live based upon his purpose for our life. The events of this week contained the anointing at Bethany, the entering into Jerusalem, which was on Palm Sunday, the Last Supper, the arrest, the trials, and the crucifixion. But this week began with something very important. And as we start off this Holy Week, as we start off this week, um, preparing our hearts to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I want us to look at the opening verses of chapter number 12 because in these verses we see a model for how we can celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. Um, specifically, I love this passage because when you look at the opening verses of chapter number 12, I don't have time to read all of it, we see a significant sacrifice from a woman and this sacrifice from a woman sets forth an example and a model for how we can praise and serve the Lord. In the first 11 verses of the chapter, we see an amazing sacrifice by a woman named Mary. Um, but following her sacrifice, we see how her one specific sacrifice was able uh, to inspire other men and women to make sacrifices for Jesus. After Jesus raises her brother from the dead, Lazarus, Mary makes up in her mind to do something significant for Jesus. She anoints Jesus and washes his feet with her hair. Anointing him with the expensive perfume speaks to her willingness to make Make a financial sacrifice, but washing his feet with her hair speaks of her humility. She did not care about what anybody said. She did not care about what anybody thought. She was willing to lay down her glory so that God's glory could be clearly seen through her life. Uh, when I think about the sacrifice of this woman, I can't help but ask myself, Thomas, how different would your life be if you moved past being held hostage by people's opinion? 
When we think about Mary, there is certainly one opinion that matters. Of course, God's opinion matters. Uh, since God's opinion matters, we need, to be, uh, we need to be focused on God's opinion. But in the text, we see that man's opinion did not matter. We see that the, the, the crowd's opinion did not matter. We see even the disciples' opinion, those who were closest to Jesus, did not matter. And because other people's opinions did not matter, she was willing to do something significant for the Lord. As I was studying, I was asking myself the question, like, what would happen in our church if more people were more concerned about pleasing the Lord than pleasing man? Like this morning when we were, lift, when we were, when we were singing in worship, if you weren't concerned about pleasing man, would you have sung a little louder? Maybe you would have lifted your hands. If you weren't concerned about people's opinion, would you maybe say amen during the service? If you weren't concerned about people's opinion, maybe you would invite somebody with you to church. If you weren't concerned about people's opinion, maybe you would approach someone about being discipled, or maybe you would approach someone about discipling you. I love the text because it gives us an opportunity to reflect on, am I pleasing God, or am I making a commitment to please man? While the first 11 verses of the chapter showcase her sacrifice, the next two verses in the chapter highlight the impact of her sacrifice. Uh, Traditionally, we speak about uh, this uh, Palm Sunday, and we historically have made the connection that the day that Jesus enters Jerusalem, it is a great day because the people shout, um, Hosanna, Uh, people are excited. But when you look at the text, John shifts from the quiet dinner to a noisy public parade. What did the interest mean to Jesus? It meant that he was willing to fulfill prophecy. If you were to go back this week and study uh, the passage, you could see that this is a complete fulfillment of Zechariah chapter number 9, where the Messiah is coming on the coat. Uh, For many years, we have easily, and this is true, made the connection how at the beginning of the week, the people shouted, Hosanna. At the end of the week, the people shouted, crucify him. And it's easy for me as a preacher uh, to make the, the very simple and easy application application that in our lives spiritually, it's very easy for us in one moment uh, to honor Jesus and in the next moment to reject him. It's super easy in one moment uh, to rejoice over Jesus and the next moment uh, disown Jesus. It's super easy for me uh, to be devoted to Jesus and in the next moment to deny him. It's easy for us to come together every Sunday at 11 o'clock to 12.15 and be super excited about Christ but then leave this place, leave this building, leave our, our, our church family, and then miss out on opportunities to live out our faith. It's the truth that we easily go from Hosanna to crucify him, not necessarily in our words, but in our actions each and every day. That's the traditional application of the passage, but I want us to look at it from a different perspective today. As we look at it, I want us to see three significant things that stand out to us. Number one, I want us to see the impact of a woman, the impact of a woman. Verse 12 says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast that Jesus, um, I'm sorry, the next day, the crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying crying out, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The text uh, tells us specifically that the people who were present 
at the dinner in the first 11 verses were the ones who were present at Palm Sunday. The group that had witnessed Mary worshiping in the house is the group that chose to worship in the city. Uh, There's something uh, that had taken place in private that led to something that took place in public. When I consider what the text is communicating, it certainly does challenge me with two significant truths that I want to share with you today. Number one, when I see the first 11 verses and I see how God uses a woman, it challenges me as a conservative evangelical Christian to ask myself the question, are we making room for women to use their gifts in church? Are we making room for God to use a gender that sometimes makes us a little uncomfortable? Are we taking room? Are we, making, are we, are we creating space for people to use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given them each and every day. When we look at this issue, it's a, it's a reminder that yes, as a church, we believe in biblical headship. We believe that God blesses male headship. We believe that God has called men to lead. But just because God has called men to lead does not mean that we do not value what women have to offer. When you look at the text, when you look at the biblical history, Jesus modeled headship and he embraced it. Jesus was fully, uh, was, was fully God, yet submitted to the Father. The Holy Spirit is fully God, but only points back to Jesus. There is perfect unity in the Trinity, which gives us a model for headship. Jesus submitting to the Father doesn't mean that Jesus was less God or less valuable. It means that Jesus and the Father were on one accord. God revealed himself as the Father in creation, the Son in redemption, and the Holy Spirit in in regeneration. These are three distinct roles that are all equal. So when we say we believe in male headship, we're not saying that we believe that women are less valuable than men. Please do not ever hear that. It's easy for it to come across that way. When we say we believe in male headship, we believe that God has given distinct roles and functions in the church. And for us, we got to go back to God's definition of the role, not what makes me most comfortable and what's most convenient. On the other side of that, though, I've got to ask myself, okay, male headship does not mean, though, that women are not valuable. Male headship does not mean that women cannot contribute to ministry. Male headship does not mean that women are not gifted and talented and that women cannot make an impact. The text tells us very clearly that a woman made a decision to do something and her impact is something that we are studying to this day. So first, we've got to make room for women to use their gifts. But secondly, we've got to ask ourselves, what kind of impact am I making with my life personally, regardless of my gender? When you go back to Acts, I mean, John chapter number 12, verse number 3, it simply says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. She anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Her sacrifice not only blessed Jesus, but it inspired others to make sacrifices for Jesus. Uh, many of us are familiar with the, with the, the common phrase, um, let's play devil's advocate, right? I'm sure most of us have either, either said that or heard that, right? The, the, the reality is we, got, we must be very careful to examine who we are advocating for in our lives. Every one of us, 
No matter if you're a preacher, no matter if you're in a pulpit, no matter if you're in the pew, every one of us each and every day is advocating for something or someone. Your life, whether you like it or not, is committed to worshiping something or someone. And the choice that we have to make is, will I worship the Lord or will I worship myself? Will I, act, will I advocate for personal sacrifice or will I advocate for self-promotion? Will I advocate for the biblical definition of marriage or will I advocate for the world's redefinition of marriage? Will I advocate for a life that is driven uh, by my own will being done or will I advocate for a life uh, that is focused on God's will being done? When you look at her example, you see very clearly that she has an impact that inspired others to worship and to glorify the Lord. Secondly, after we see the impact of a woman, we secondly see the inquiry from the Greeks. Verse 20 says, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Verse 20 mentions their culture. And it mentions their culture because John wants us to see that Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, were included into the life and the ministry of Jesus. When you go back to Matthew, which, which is the first of the Gospels, we see that at the beginning of the, the, the life of Christ, we see that the wise men came from the east. And here on the fourth gospel, we see that John is telling us that wise men came from the west. Essentially, it is a picture of the Gentiles bookending the life and legacy of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, both framed this, both sides of Jesus. Essentially, John is trying to communicate to us that Jesus is not simply uh, the, the redeemer of Israel, but Jesus is the savior of the world. That Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is beautiful because Jesus gave his life to the world and Jesus gives his life to the world. The original Greek indicates that these were Greeks. When we think about uh, Greeks, we know that they were from a culture and a system that had many different ideas for God. They had many different deities in their culture. They had thousands of different gods uh, that they worshipped. So much so, if you go back to Acts 17, it's on the screen. When Paul was preaching in the city of Athens, Greece, here's what he says. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopius, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I find also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since himself, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This, how, this is how religious the people are. They had gods for everything. They had gods for, for sex. They had gods for money. They had gods for romance. They had gods for war. They had gods for grain. They had all these different gods. And they were so religious. They said, you know what? Just in case we miss one, we're going to have an inscription that says to the unknown God to make sure we covered all of our bases. <laughs> like that's how religious the culture was. And in that culture, Paul is telling them that you have a, relig a commitment to religion but he's saying, I want you to have a relationship with Christ. I love the text because it is, once again, a reminder 
that just because we live in a culture with a multiplicity of different options for, or different religions options is not an excuse for us not accepting the truth. Like, we could easily say that because we are um, in America and because we have different options, we need to just let everyone pick whatever they want to pick and whatever is best for them. But here in the text, we have an opportunity to see that salvation comes from one source, regardless of your culture. We need to remind people that Christ is the way. So first we see the, the, the culture, but then the conditions of their request. I love the text because in Greek it is communicating that they kept asking Philip for the privilege of interviewing Jesus. They wanted a one-on-one with Jesus. They wanted uh, to talk with Jesus. They didn't want to talk to a disciple or to a pastor. They didn't request to see Lazarus, although Lazarus was a great testimony. They wanted to see the one who everyone was speaking about. They wanted to speak to the one who was not just um, able to to transform uh, their bellies, but they, want, they wanted to talk to the one who was able to transform their hearts. They wanted to physically see Jesus. They wanted to experience Jesus. They wanted to fellowship with Jesus. They wanted to get to know Jesus. They wanted to talk with Jesus. They wanted to hear clearly from Jesus. When you think about it, it's a, it's a, it could be discouraging to us because we know that we're not able to physically see Jesus that same way. But I want you to know very clearly that when you and I enter a relationship with Christ, we can still hear and talk to Jesus. Because of the Holy Spirit residing in our lives, we can communicate with Christ. One of the reasons why we are committed to reading the scriptures and preaching the scriptures is because every time God's word is read or preached or heard, God's voice is also heard. So yes, we may not be able to physically go see Jesus the way they did, we still can have a relationship with Jesus. Um, this, y'all know my birthday was a couple weeks ago, and of course, anytime you have your, have, well, for, for us in our household, we just um, have the accountability of uh, setting our annual physicals along with our birthdays. I, I usually want to push it off because I don't want to go to it, but it's a good accountability in our household, right? So we just, your birthday comes up, you go see the doctor. Well, the week before my birthday, uh, my doctor called me and he said, uh, well, the office called me and said, unfortunately, Dr. Wells is unavailable. We're going to let you see his um, physician assistant. And I politely said, not me. <laughs> I said, I don't come up here and see y'all enough to, to see the physician assistant, right? Like, I need to see the doctor. Like, I'm willing to wait, but if I'm going to go to the doctor, I want to see the doctor. Now, I was believing God that everything was going to be good, but if, if something came back bad on the blood work, I didn't want to talk to the physician assistant. I wanted to talk to the doctor. Like if, you know how they, they check your heart and they, they ask you to breathe in deeply. I didn't want that to be done by the physician assistant. I wanted it to be done by the doctor. It's a reminder, though, that there's some things that we can only get from Jesus. Like fellowship is good. Being together is good. Praying for one another is good. Having community is phenomenal. We need that. But there, there are some things that you will only be able to get from Jesus. There, there are some things that are too important. There are some things that are too precious for you to, to rely on a man because the scriptures tell us if you place your faith in a man or a woman, ultimately that person is going to fail you. 
So when you look at the text, they wanted to be able to go to Jesus because ultimately Jesus was the only one who can meet their needs. I've said this a million times and I'm going to continue to say it. There are no grandchildren of God. Like all of us are children of God because all of us have to have a personal relationship with Christ for ourselves. There's not a person who will ever get to heaven based upon their grandparents or their parents or their aunt's faith. I have, I have friends who I'm interceding for, who I'm praying for, but they will not get to heaven based upon my faith. Here's another truth. As much faith as I have, I cannot take a plus one to heaven. God's not going to be like, Thomas, your faith was so strong, just bring another one with you. God's not going to do that. So I've got to be committed to a personal relationship with Christ for myself. But here's the other side of the coin. I must be committed to sharing that people need a personal relationship with Jesus more so than they need a relationship with the pastor. And part of being a pastor, I love you guys. I love being available to you. I love talking with you. I love the the shepherding that comes with being a pastor. But ultimately, there's some things that you can only get from the Lord. So first we see the impact of a woman. Secondly, we see the inquiry from the Greeks. And then lastly, we see the invitation from Jesus, the invitation from the Lord. I'm going to break this one up in three parts. The invitation to follow, the implications of following, and the importance of following. First, let's look at the invitation to follow. Verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I'm going to go out on a ledge this morning and say something that's probably not very popular. And depending upon your faith journey, it may not make sense. When we, can, when we consider the invitation to follow Christ, we must understand that this is not an invitation to ease and comfort. This is not an invitation to fun and games. This is not an invitation to spiritual rabbit foots that will guarantee you that God will answer every one of your prayers how you want, when you want. From the very start, we must understand that the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to die. I'm going to say it again. The invitation to follow Jesus is going to cause something to die in your life. During the 1800s, there was a missionary uh, to England by the name of George Mueller. Uh, During his ministry, Mueller um, not only preached the gospel faithfully, but he established um, 117 schools. He was able to educate over 120,000 children. Many of them were orphans. And when someone asked him, what has been the secret of your life? Here's how he responded. Mueller said, there was a day when I died. Then he bent over and he began to cry. He said, George's opinions, preferences, taste, all had to die. I also had to die to the world, to its approval, and even its censure. Should have heard me clear this morning. For you to live for Jesus requires that you first die to yourself. It is impossible for you to live for Christ 
without first dying to yourself. To paint the picture of what it means to die to self, there's an illustration in the text. Jesus used the image of a seed to illustrate the great spiritual sacrifice that must happen. By itself, a seed is weak and useless, but when it is planted and it dies, it becomes fruitful. When a seed is planted, there is bounty and beauty. When the seed dies, it fulfills its purpose. If the seed could talk, the seed would probably complain about the cold, dark earth and how it's uncomfortable and how they can't see and why this is happening and the uncomfort of its shell being broken. But the only way for it, for it to achieve its goal, it has to be planted in the cold ground and it has to die. It has to be broken. For us this morning, we need to understand that God has called us to be like those seeds. By ourselves, we are small, we are insignificant, but we have life because of Christ. Now, we must understand that the life that he's speaking about is a life, hear me, where God desires for your life to bear much fruit. God desires for your life to produce something. God desires for your life to not stay stale and cold and boring. But this, this Christian journey, this Christian relationship is a great adventure where God is able to produce something through our lives. But for that to happen, catch this, we must allow God to plant us. And too many of us are fighting with God about the location that we have been planted or how he has chose to plant us. Rather than growing where God has planted us, rather than accepting where God has planted us, rather than being thankful for how God has planted us, rather rather than being thankful for the specific location that God has planted us. Even last night, as I was preparing the sermon, I had to just step away from the table just to tell the Lord, thank you. I had to tell the Lord, thank you for planting me in Athens, Georgia. God, thank you for allowing me to be the pastor of Calvary. God, thank you for my family. God, thank you for my ministry. God, thank you for allowing me to be at a place that I do not deserve. Thank you for allowing me to be at a place that I could not have seen for myself. And when I have gotten to the place in my life where I understand that it is that it is it is God who has planted me, then I'm able to grow where I've been planted. If I'm constantly fighting and complaining and questioning where God has planted me, I will not grow where God has planted me. If I am constantly upset with what God has planted me, I won't thrive where God has planted me. If I am constantly questioning whether or not I'm planted in the right place, then I will never produce the fruit that God desires for me to bear in my life. So when we look at the text, we must not only die to ourselves, but we must also die to the place where we are willing to surrender our lives to Jesus completely. Whether or not we surrender will determine if our lives are marked by loneliness or fruitfulness. Whether or not we surrender will determine whether or not our lives will be lost or kept. Whether or not I will serve self or serve Christ. Whether or not I will please God or whether or not I will please myself. Next, we see the implications of following. Verse 27 says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. I find it interesting that when Jesus speaks about the pursuit of glory, it caused him to be troubled. All of us, I can't speak for all of us, the guy speaking, we seek, I seek glory. I want to be, I want to be remembered well. I don't know about you, but I do. 
right? I want to be celebrated. I want to be thanked. I want to live life in such a way where people express their appreciation and their thanks to me. And when we think about it, the more we read the text, the more I understand that Jesus was troubled by glory because Jesus truly understood the significance and the essence of what glory really was. I mean, when you think about it, what is glory and where is it found? Is glory found um, on a football field? Is glory found in a particular bank account? Is glory found in an actual um, experience? Is glory found in a relationship? Like, where is glory really found? Also, what does the word mean when we say glory? When you think about this word glory, it is uh, the aspects of our lives that are praiseworthy or honorable or respectful. That's why glory is a weighty issue. And glory was a weighty issue to Jesus because he knew how much it would cost him. For Jesus to be glorified, he had to literally lay down his life and die a death on the cross. For us, glory can be addressed in two different ways. Number one, it can be addressed in the issue of adoration, but also in the issue of obedience. In the verses, we have an opportunity to adore the Lord by directly telling God that we are thankful for what he is and who he is, for what he has accomplished and for who he is in our lives. So, so many times in my life personally, I have traded uh, the weighty issues in life for the light issues in life. I've gotten them mixed up. I've allowed the things that are light to become weighty and the things that are weighty to become light. I've allowed my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram, my title, even what the scale says when I'm trying to lose weight, I've allowed that to become weighty and I've allowed following Jesus to become light. Making disciples has become light. Reading God's word has become light. Serving in the church has become light. Reading um, in such a way where I'm asking the Lord to transform me. Those are the things that have become light when I don't really understand the weightiness of God's glory. When you think about it, for us to respond correctly, my personal spirituality cannot be more weighty than my commitment to the church. For me to get it corrected, my investment in myself cannot be more significant than my investment in the kingdom. My commitment to pleasing Thomas cannot be more significant than my commitment to pleasing the Lord. When you think about it, glory is not just an adoration issue, it's also an obedience issue. Obedience speaks to not just morality, it speaks to glory. Because when I tell God no, essentially I'm saying, God, what you have to say is light and what I desire is weighty. When God says, Thomas, don't log on to the computer. When Thomas says, when God says, Thomas, uh, don't respond the wrong way. When God says, Thomas, don't be rude. When, Thomas, when God says, Thomas, do not respond the wrong way. When God says, Thomas, be humble. And I do the opposite. What I'm saying is, God, what I want is weighty and what you want is light. And when you see it from their perspective, it, it, it reminds us that what Jesus is calling us to is more than just a Sunday morning, check the box kind of relationship. This is something that impacts every aspect of my life. You see it very clearly that we see the, the invitation and the implications, but then we end with this. We see the importance of following Jesus. Verse 30 says, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now this is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I 
when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In verse 32, the, ver- the phrase all people uh, does not suggest a universal salvation. Does not suggest that all people, regardless of their faith tradition, will be saved. We do not believe that. But when it says all people, they're saying all people without distinction. Jews or Gentiles, rich or poor, male or female. Jesus does not force them. Here's the great thing that we have. Here's the great opportunity that we have as a church. Jesus invited them. Jesus says if he, if he is lifted up, then men will find the way. If he is lifted up, then men will know the truth. If he is lifted up, then men and women will receive the life. The task of the church is not to fuss out the church or fuss out people into the church, but the task of the church is this. We are to take the gospel to the whole world so that the whole world will have an opportunity to receive the gospel in our lives. Chris, you can come on back up. We're going to close now. There are three points of application that we have this morning, and we'll get ready for communion. When you think about it, God has given us an opportunity this morning. You and I have an opportunity to make the right impact. What I love about the Christian faith, and even though I'm the pastor and I'm the guy who talks a lot on Sunday, we all have an opportunity to make an impact. We all have an opportunity to leave this building and live our life in such a way where we are impacting others with a transforming message of hope that is only found in Christ. Like, I want you guys to bring people to church. I want you guys to to help us grow our ministry, but that should never, ever take the place place of your personal ministry. You have an opportunity to impact where you have been planted. I really believe this. I'm not just saying this because I'm the preacher. I really believe that the Lord has strategically placed you in an area where your voice means more than mine. Your voice in your house, in your community, in your family, on your job, with your peer groups, it means more than this preacher who people have never seen. Now, the the, the hard part about this is, I can talk to most of y'all, and none of y'all know my life. None of y'all know my struggles. None of y'all know what I'm really dealing with. And the people who you live with, work with, and do life with, they know yours, though, because they see you every day. It's harder for you because it's got to move past what you say out of your mouth, but you got to be willing to make the right impact with your life. But there's an opportunity that we can take advantage of. Secondly, we have the opportunity to make the right inquiries. It's okay to ask questions. I was talking to one of our members uh, this week. It was a great conversation. My sister shared some frustrations with the Lord, and I think it's important for me to say this. It's okay to take your frustrations to, to the Lord. It's okay to tell God how you really feel. It's not helpful for you to bottle it up and for you to try to fake it till you make it and respond the right way. I, I love... I love going to Jesus because there's not a question, there's not a concern that Jesus cannot answer. There's not a question and concern that will overwhelm God. Now, you may not get the answer that you want. God may respond in a way that doesn't agree with your spirit, 
But ultimately, God is able to handle any question that you have. But we've got to be willing to take the questions to the person who can give us the answer. And thirdly, we have the opportunity to accept the right invitation. The invitation to follow Jesus is, it's a hard one. And as preachers, we want to make it, we want to make it easy and convenient. And I want to, like right now, I want to make this thing just so appealing that anybody wants to walk the aisle and accept it. But I think far too many pastors have described a relationship with Jesus that's not true. Having a relationship with Christ does not mean that you're going to win every game and get every promotion. and It's just not that. But having a relationship with Christ, here's what it means. That my life is secure forever. That when God sees me, he sees not just my, my, my brokenness, but he sees his son who covers my sin. The invitation to follow Jesus is an opportunity for me to be fully accepted and, in love, and loved and embraced by God. The invitation to follow Christ is an opportunity for me to be loved well by God, but also to be loved well by his family. To me, I'll, I'll take that. I may not get what I want all the time. I may not have the, the, the rabbit's foot. I may not, you know, get to have a, a private jet or be on TV, that's fine. But I can be accepted. I can be loved. I, I can know that my, my eternal relationship is secure and it's not based upon my performance, but it's based upon what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And I'll take that more so than anything else that this world can offer. I want the deacons to come up now. I'm going to pray for us. And as we begin to pray, I want you to take a few moments to prepare your hearts before we take the elements. The scriptures tell us very clearly that we are not to enter into this time unadvisedly, but this is an opportunity for us to reflect and to pray and to ask God to reveal to us areas of sin that need to be confessed. And as we confess our sins, I want you to fully know that God promises when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So as Chris plays a little bit, I want you to use this as an opportunity to prepare your heart for the elements. Father, thank you so much for this time and for this, for this message. God, I thank you for the, the week that we are in. God, I pray that this will be a week where we are walking alongside Jesus, where we're thinking about the events, that we are mindful of the sacrifice, we are mindful of the teachings, that we are mindful of the greatest week, that we're mindful of how that week is able to impact every week after. God, as we take this communion, I pray specifically, Lord, that we would, that you would reveal to us areas of sin that need to be confessed. I thank you, God, that 
the Christian life is not about having a sinless life, but the Christian life is about appropriately dealing with the sin in our life. Bless this time as we prepare our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen.